Assalamu alaikum. Hey everyone, it's Fahan, and you're listening to the Nice Invest Tea Talk podcast. I hope everybody's feeling good, ready to start your Friday. Alhamdulillah, it's Jumma today. And we're here to recreate in podcast form what happened last year at my local mosque sister circle. Where a few of us got together and I was able to run a session on all things halal personal finance. Whether it had to do with halal investing, budgeting, pensions, we covered all of it. And at the end of the session, I asked my sisters to leave me with what further questions they had so I could cover it with you in podcast form. So thanks so much for joining me and let's get started. So the question this week asks, I'd like to know more about digital assets. Now, uh, this means that this is going to be the episode where we talk about um, cryptocurrencies and NFTs. So these are two common examples of what are called uh, digital assets. Now, it's important, especially if we take things step by step, is to first of all understand where is it that cryptocurrencies fit within uh, the broader landscape of what's available to invest in. So cryptocurrencies and digital assets in general, they would fall under the bracket of an alternative investment. So what do we mean by that? An alternative investment is uh, anything that would fall outside of uh, a traditional asset class. And there are pretty much four main um, asset classes. There is cash, there is what we would call fixed income. So that includes bonds and Islamic bonds uh, called uh, sukuks. And then you have uh, uh, property and then you've got stocks and shares. Now, in the past 15 years, what we've seen is the development of what we'd call the digital uh, asset classes. So I thought that in this episode, uh, we would probably focus on, um, I would say, three main things. First of all, is first to understand exactly how is it that cryptocurrencies work how is it that they've come about second uh, because by definition these uh, digital assets are very high risk and speculative in nature and so the thing to really understand is exactly what are the risks that are involved and um, how is it that we should think about them because I feel like uh, once you do like with anything making an informed decision um, that is aligned with your risk uh, tolerance and your goals is super important what else did I want to cover I also wanted to uh, cover how regulated they are so what is it that the regulation says about what we can or can't do with uh, cryptocurrencies. Lastly, because the sister asks about digital assets more broadly, uh, we'll talk about not only Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but also uh, NFTs. So first of all, what are cryptocurrencies? How is it that they came about uh, to begin with? Now, before the actual history, perhaps it's nice to just reflect on our own personal history so maybe ask yourself uh, when was uh, the first time that you ever came across the word cryptocurrencies or the word uh, bitcoin for me i think i may have heard it when i was at university so uh, at at the beginning of the previous decade not this one 
But I do remember uh, around 2016 and 2017, at the time I was working on a, like on a trading floor. So that was the first time I remember seeing the very big spike in Bitcoin. So some of my friends and colleagues were all talking about what we thought of Bitcoin and that kind of stuff. And at the same time, you may have friends or relatives at university and I hear stories of people in lectures uh, waiting for an ICO which is a, an initial coin offering which, which is like the opposite of what you would call an IPO which is when a company first comes to market. I, I remember when I first heard that term I thought ooh well, I can't believe that that also exists. In more recent times during COVID, there was huge, huge uh, spike uh, in, in in cryptocurrencies, and you re- really could, uh, for a period, you really could not get away from hearing about it. Um, it started in two thousand and nine in the wake of the financial crisis, and um, it was a response to the mood at the time which was for individuals to be able to have control of their money without the implicit reliance on banks, companies, and governments. Because we had to have to implicitly trust these institutions that didn't do any good, because look what happened with the financial crisis. So bearing that in mind, the idea of not having to rely on institutions to exchange value in the form of currency, it was seen as a revolution for the financial world, first of all. Second of all, it was meant to be a way for people to create a new digital form of value exchange. And um, the way it was going to do that, it was going to have to be built around the concept of decentralization. So if we bear in mind these three things, it was going to be revolutionary, it was going to be a new way for people to exchange value, and it was going to be built around decentralization. So if we think about the term cryptocurrency, it really is in the name. So if we break it down, it is a currency, meaning that it's a way for people to exchange value. And it uses encryption technology as a way to control the amount of currency that is issued, but also as a way to record ownership and payments. Like in the olden days, you'd have ledgers where the bank would literally write down when people would withdraw money and they would just keep it in account as a ledger. Effectively, this ledger for cryptocurrencies is uh, built on the blockchain. So when people say that uh, cryptocurrency relies on the blockchain, it acts as this distributed and transparent digital ledger. And the whole principle of using the blockchain is because it allows to maintain uh, the decentralized nature of cryptocurrency. The first coin uh, that was created, the first currency was Bitcoin. Um, and it's still probably the one that most people are familiar with. Another one is Ethereum. Um, but if you took a guess of how many cryptocurrencies is out there, and I checked in preparation for this um, for this episode, and now you've got 22,000 different currencies. 
and the value of uh, those crypto assets altogether, they come up to 850 billion uh, in market capitalization. So without risking to sound too simplistic, how is it that you actually get crypto? Uh, firstly, you can buy it. So you buy it in exchange for uh, another currency. You can also earn it. Um, and this was like at the at the very beginning of cryptocurrency. It was very popular to hear people say that they were being paid in crypto. Um, and this was meant to be like almost like a, not really like a joke, but uh, people who believed in that technology and maybe at the beginning it was really uh, easy uh, to come by in terms of actual coins. Now we would really only buy it in fractions because one Bitcoin is worth 30, like upwards of 35,000 pounds. Um, and then there is this thing that you also hear, which is uh, you can mine cryptocurrencies. So that is when uh, you use really extensive data and resources to solve these mathematical problems that allow you to generate what's called cryptographic keys. Um, so effectively to issue new uh, crypto. So bearing all of this in mind, you now hold crypto as an asset and that asset like with any other type of asset, has its own risk and return profile. And with cryptocurrency, uh, the way you would describe that risk profile is one that is really speculative and really high risk. So the moment that someone exchanges their uh, pounds to crypto, they have to be aware of what is it that they have, that they're cur currently holding. And so for the second part of this podcast, we'll effectively just go through what are the factors to consider uh, when holding crypto and what are the risks that are involved. With any investment, the first thing to, to think about is the rate of volatility. So with cryptocurrencies, they are known for being for their price fluctuations to be incredibly uh, volatile. So it is not uncommon to see cryptocurrencies change by hundreds or even thousands of pounds in short periods. And the reason for this, you know, firstly, people need to intrinsically believe in the value of crypto. So if for any reason, uh, people's opinions change about how cryptocurrencies work as a store of value that will impact the price of it. Secondly, if generally there is something that changes about the market sentiment towards cryptocurrencies, maybe somebody says something. For instance, if Elon Musk tweets saying, you know, now you can buy Teslas using crypto, that of course will have an impact on the market of cryptocurrencies. Or thirdly, for ex if uh, because security is also a big factor here, so if suddenly people believe that their cryptocurrency is not secure, that will also impact the price of it. When you think about cryptocurrencies and how is it that they might differ from another currency, it is in the name and in the history of crypto the fact that it's decentralized by nature. That means that they don't have, if you compare it to another traditional currency, they're not reserved backed, meaning that they're, they are not backed by a central bank or a government that will guarantee its value. And if we really think about it, that's part of 
the risk of cryptocurrencies and the reason they were created in the first place because they wanted to be decentralized. They didn't want to have to face another counterparty, another bank, uh, whilst dealing with each other in dealing with crypto. So when you buy and sell crypto, you do that in a decentralized way, meaning you don't have a counterparty in the middle that removes what's called counterparty risk. And when people trade cryptocurrencies, they do so in a decentralized network. And what does that decentralized network create? It creates the fact that you no longer have someone in the middle acting like a counterparty uh, to remove some of that risk for you of you not being able to find a market for your cryptocurrency. And uh, why does that present a risk? That market will suffer from low volumes and liquidity. And a lot of alternative investments, that is one of the intrinsic risks that they have that other traditional asset classes might not have. And so I feel like one topic that is really good to keep in mind is, of course, volatility. But another one that is equally important to bear in mind as an investor is the idea of liquidity. And um, if you have an asset that its market is very liquid, the risk that that removes for you is it allows you to buy and sell it with ease because you know that you will be able to find someone who will buy it at that price and that there is going to be either a lot of volume or a lot of liquidity in that market. So yeah, it's almost appreciating the fact that yes, Maybe you're in a market that has really high price uh, fluctuations, but if you cannot find someone who will buy it at that price, that is almost no good to you. But I feel that if we delve a little bit deeper, there is a level of protection that you get from financial regulation. In the UK, it's called the FSCS. So that's the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, where uh, if something happens to the bank uh, for a certain amount of money that you have, I think in the, it's actually set at a cap of 100,000 euros. Um, so in the UK, it's like roughly 85,000 pounds. And so your current account is uh, protected. Uh, up to 85,000 pounds. So if you wanted to get rid of that operational risk, you just maybe open many different accounts to put up to 85,000 pounds in because any money that you have over that amount, if something were to happen operationally to the bank, you wouldn't have recourse to that money. And so how does that relate back to crypto? Uh, Cryptocurrencies in the UK are not covered by the FSCF. So if we talk about the three different risks, we said, well, Volatility is one, fair enough. Uh, Low liquidity and low market volumes because of the decentralized nature of crypto is another. Third, there is also regulatory uh, risks that you have to uh, bear in mind with crypto that other asset classes do uh, have um, protection over. If you have seen banks go under knowing that you are covered up to 85,000 pounds 
that means something to you and so you want to make sure that you're covered by that amount but maybe that doesn't cross your mind if you haven't ever seen what's called a bank run where the bank literally runs out of money uh, but that is what happened uh, during the financial crisis uh, in the UK. An example of one was Northern Rock, where people were literally filing outside of the ATM machines to get their money out. Uh, something similar also happened in Greece uh, during their sovereign debt crisis. And a very famous basketball player in the US, he's Greek-Nigerian, he plays for the NBA uh for milwaukee i have no idea i'm gonna guess when he obviously got paid a lot of money when he joined uh, the league he didn't want to keep that cash in his that whole cash into his account and so he opened a bunch of current accounts and uh what he was trying to do is effectively get rid of uh that counterparty risk or that operational risk uh presented by the fact that his money is with a third party uh, and so he wanted to be covered up into that amount. But of course, he's falling back to his memory. Maybe he was a child when in 2012, uh, his country went through uh, that crisis. So yeah, that was a little bit of a detour. But effectively, I think it does sum up some of the risks involved with cryptocurrency. And it kind of leads into my topic about regulation, because in the UK, cryptocurrency is it just keeps getting increasingly regulated because uh, the, what the Financial Conduct Authority is trying to do is protect uh, retail customers in particular. So that's why uh, I'm pretty sure it's illegal in this country for someone to like directly sell cryptocurrency to retail customers. So somebody actually making an advert for cryptocurrency that is not allowed even though you know cryptocurrencies are meant to be decentralized in nature you've got these actors that are effectively act, uh, called people who provide crypto wallets so a way for people to store their crypto and trade their cryptocurrency and so you have to kind of be in your mind aware that you're adding a bit of counterparty risk so it's not like it's pure crypto in, in its theoretical sense, but you're using a crypto wallet provider. Anyhow, those crypto wallet providers, which they see themselves as an entry point for the average person on the street to have access to cryptocurrency, they have to go through immense lengths to make their customers aware of the risks involved with dealing with cryptocurrency. And uh, in fact, I got an email, uh, which is so well-timed to this episode, but I got an email telling me that for me to keep using that crypto wallet, I have to pass this exam, which is called like an appropriateness test. So it's effectively testing my knowledge of the risks involved with cryptocurrency. Uh, and on the front on the dashboard you see like at the very top saying cryptocurrencies are incredibly highly speculative you need to be comfortable with losing everything that you've invested in cryptocurrency and that's why uh, even though you know we talk about even when you invest in stocks and shares, you have to be mindful that the money that you've invested, you have to be comfortable and withstand the risk of it all going. For cryptocurrency, 
it's really like yes, we mean that when we talk about equities, you should be able to see it go down to zero and not react for at least five years in order for it to compound and for you to get the commensurate return for the risk that you took. With cryptocurrency, the risk isn't just that it could go down to zero. Even if it goes to the, to the sky, there's no guarantee that the crypto provider won't fail, that you'll find anybody that will buy it at that price. So if there is anything that you put into crypto, and we love a rule of thumb, there's a rule of thumb that, you know, for really very small, like less than 10% of your investable assets, so it's not like all of your wealth, but the money that you have available to invest, that is the kind of amount if you are going to consider putting into anything highly speculative or any kind of alternative investment, like for even if you were to buy like, uh, I don't know, rare pieces of art or that kind of stuff, uh, you are gonna wanna do that with a very tiny amount of your portfolio. And quite literally, if that money, poof, disappeared, it wouldn't have an impact on you personally in terms of uh, how is it that you're able to live your life. It isn't money that you had earmarked for something important. That is the kind of messaging that uh, crypto wallet providers need to get out and they have to be registered with the FCA. I feel like that's the direction that the regulation is going. It's uh, uh, because uh, of the need to protect consumers uh, for the risks that are involved uh, with cryptocurrency. So very briefly, I, I touched on examples of alternative investments like art and that kind of stuff. Now, that kind of that is a nice segue into the last bit uh, of things to talk about within digital assets, and that is the advent of non-fungible tokens, which are called NFTs. Now, NFTs are effectively um, a digital version of a collector's item. And so you may think of if someone buys an alternative investment, they might end up with a painting or they might end up with a collectible coin or a piece of antique furniture. What NFTs are trying to create is effectively create digital versions of these. Firstly, I th- I, with NFTs, I feel like it's useful to think about the ways they're similar to cryptocurrencies. So firstly, uh, NFTs also rely on blockchain technology. And the reason they do so is because they use it as a way to store ownership of that token. Um, So if you've created a digital token that reflects ownership of a particular digital asset, it is then stored on the blockchain. If you need to give someone license to use that digital token, that is also recorded in the blockchain. So in the name non-fungible token, the idea of it being non-fungible effectively means it cannot be replicated. So it's a way of saying that it's unique. And that is another way that they're different uh, to cryptocurrencies because one Bitcoin is the same as another Bitcoin, but one NFT is not the same as another NFT. 
and as a result there isn't a common value attached to an nft instead it literally works the same way as any collector's item would in the sense that it's only as valuable as someone's willing to pay for it so i feel like perhaps an example would be helpful so i've got here an example of an nft that was uh, based off of a digital asset so here is the twitter ceo's first tweet so someone might say oh wow if i own the very first tweet that might be something of value let me create an nft out of that and it just said just setting up my twitter anyhow at like at an auction it sold for 2.9 million and this was in 2021 and that unique piece of code is what the nft is was attached to the downloadable tweet and then stored on the blockchain as a way to represent ownership of that asset so this would effectively be the comparison of uh, what happens when you buy a house you need like a piece of paper to show that you own the house and that's called the deed and so you can think of nfts stored on the blockchain as effectively being the deed to someone's house but instead in this case it represents the not the ownership of a house or a piece of land but rather the ownership of uh, jack dorsey's first downloadable tweet and by having an nft saved onto the blockchain that effectively acts as the deed um, that represents your ownership of the asset. Now, uh, and then they get traded uh, in digital markets. If we think about, uh, again, our comparisons between NFTs and cryptocurrencies, um, it goes without saying, similar to cryptocurrencies, they're not uh, regulated by uh, the Financial Conduct Authority in the sense that you cannot if something were to happen, if you got uh, scammed, there is no court of where you could go to argue your case as an investor if you um, if something went wrong. I feel the main big difference between cryptocurrencies and NFT, there is no like value that can be agreed for a particular NFT in the sense that it really is a matter of what someone is willing to buy it for. That very same tweet that I gave as an example, it was first sold at an auction for 2.9 million in 2021. So people at the time, that's what they thought that Jack Dorsey's tweet was worth. Now, the same NFT was then sold um, at another auction in April 2022, and then it just went for $280. That tells you everything about what can happen to the value of an NFT. And, and, and really, it's not a way to say something is good or something is bad. We're just saying that the return profile of an NFT and the risk profile of an NFT is such that it is different to the traditional asset classes is more akin to things that are whose value is based off of the general public's willingness to attribute value to the creativity or the uniqueness of a particular asset. However, it's they're both under the bracket of digital assets because of the way in which they use the blockchain to create uh, these 
markets and these assets because all of this technology you know in its strictest sense is incredibly new it is very fascinating to see how uh, the regulatory landscape is rushing to keep up uh, whilst nfts perhaps you can agree with me they've kind of uh, gone away from the general population's discussion of them uh, cryptocurrencies are still very much in people's frame of reference now you know that if you open an account with any type of crypto wallet you can be expected to take a small test about the appropriateness of you as an investor into crypto and that is intended to protect you as a consumer uh, you won't see anybody selling you crypto in the sense that someone making an advert for that it's important to instead arm yourself with as much knowledge um, and what I enjoy doing is kind of think about these asset classes on a spectrum and, and compare the pros and cons of all of them how is it that they move um, and if you I feel start to describe these markets in terms of okay what is my counterparty risk what is the volatility involved how liquid is this market what is my risk profile how much of my investable assets am I going to allocate to this particular asset class? That allows you to, first of all, not put your hard-earned money into unnecessary risk. You, you start to think of yourself as someone who's been empowered with knowledge and is able to make decision, informed decisions in line with not only their goals but also uh, their risk profile. So I hope that was a helpful discussion about all things digital assets. That was effectively the end of the things I wanted to discuss uh, relating to cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens and the risks involved. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, this has been the Nisa Invest Tea Talk podcast. I will see you uh, next Juma. Assalamu alaikum. Bye for now.